Bibles, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 11 to 21. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. We aren't commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, since we have received this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we don't know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, it's great to be here, and um, it's great to have God's word, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken. Uh, you thank you, we thank you that you care about us. We pray that as we meditate upon your word tonight, you would guide us and strengthen us and shape us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a great passage. Um, this is actually the passage we had at our wedding, I think, wasn't it? Was it this one? Yeah, it's a great passage. I can't remember, it was a few years ago. How, how many years ago was it? No, I know. Anyway, uh, it was a while ago. When we got back from Peru this time, uh, I had been, uh, we'd been on the road for a little while and travelling a little bit. Uh, We were in Lima for a while. I actually did some hiking. We got back to Australia and then we had time settling in And I basically had the same clothes and I was with a friend of mine and I said to him, I've been wearing the same clothes for like two months and I've got things coming up now at church, I've got to do something, I've got to get some clothes. He said, don't worry. He said, I'm going to send you to my stylist. I said, ooh, a stylist. Now, I don't know if any of you know me uh, or have known me for a while, but if you did, you'd know that I'm not really a, you know, into style. I'm not really a fashionista or anything like that. Uh, I've been wearing 
the, the same clothes for about 30 years, which is the clothes I wore 30 years ago. And that's, that's me. If you walked in, uh, well, you know those kids walked into that wardrobe and they went into the world of Narnia. If you walked into my wardrobe, you'd go into the 80s. You know, that's, that's how it is. So I was a little bit reluctant about this whole stylist thing. Anyway, I said, okay, what the heck, I've got to do something. So <clears throat> I met up with this guy. He took me into the, into the city, you know, into town. We went to town, and we went to in a, into a fancy shop. He, he, looks, he looks me up and down. He says, right, I know your size. You'll need this. You'll need that. Some pants. You'll need this color. I think you're autumn. No, he didn't, he didn't say that, but <clears throat> I, made, I just made that bit up. I don't know what I am. Anyway, he, he grabbed all this stuff. And uh, he said, you know, do you want formal, semi-formal? What are we talking here? I said, well, I don't really know. He said, that's okay. We'll work with it. And so he's got all the stuff. And then he said, try it on. So I try on the pants. <clears throat> I'm like, oh, they feel a little uncomfortable. They're kind of slim. He said, that's slim fit. Slim fit. That's what we do now. That's how it is. <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, okay. He said, try the shirt on. I try the shirt on. I'm like, yeah, it's a little clingy, slim, slim fit. <laughs> So what we do now, that's how it is. I'm like, right, okay. Uh, but, you know, I like to wear a T-shirt under my... I'm like, no, that doesn't go. That doesn't work. We don't do that. I'm like, okay. So I remember there was, a, there was this moment. There was this moment of clarity where I realised I just had to let go. And I thought to myself, right, I'm just going to let go and I'm just going to give myself completely into his hands. Into his, into his control and I'm just going to just do it and you know what <clears throat> transformed transformed some people said you're looking a bit like Paul <clears throat> said, I don't know if I've reached, reached that yet but, but I'm transformed and uh, it feels good I've got other stuff. This morning I had a tie, shirt tucked in, you know, it's sort of ensemble, you can, you can change it around, you're ready for anything, ready for anything, I'm set, I'm transformed. And you know what, that's what Paul is uh, talking a lot about here in this passage, transformation, transformation, and he, um, <clears throat> he talks about it a lot. You know, when you read Paul, you don't actually realise how often he is talking about the gospel. You don't realise how it's just such a natural part of him that it just overflows into everything that he says. And so we can see it here in a number of ways. In verse 14, for example. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Okay, we, we died. We died. We, we're dead. But, don't worry, we're alive again because he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Transformation. Dead, alive, no longer living for ourselves, now living for Christ who died for us and was raised again. That's an important part, that bit at the end, because we're not living for someone who's dead. That's a bit of a sad thought, isn't it? We're living for the one who has conquered death, for the one who is the Lord of life, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of eternity. 
And so that old way is, you know, gives us the perspective where our, our thoughts, our decisions, our ambitions, our goals are in this context of a world that is fading away and temporary and ultimately futile. But when we think of ourselves, the transformed selves, living for the one who died for us, the king of eternity, we're in the context of the eternal kingdom of God. So we've been transformed. He says it again in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. I'm using the NIV. There might be some slight differences, but uh, you, you can see that. Again, transformation, a new creation, he calls us. Wow. The old has gone. Let it go. Don't go back to the 80s. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go back to that dead life, living for yourself. We are transformed, a new creation. He says it again in verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We are reconciled. We were enemies of God, far away from God. And God has reconciled us to himself. We are friends with, with him, in a right relationship with him. And he, he explores that again in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who was perfect, took our sin and died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are right with God in a right relationship with him. So that's transformation. When we give ourselves to God, surrender ourselves to him, we are transformed. We, are, we have a new life living for Christ. We are a new creation. The old is gone. We are reconciled to God and we are righteous before him. Wow. You know, I preached I preach on this passage five times today. If I fall over at some point in the sermon, you'll, you'll know why. But when, when we meditate upon this truth, uh, it's so exciting, isn't it? It's so incredible. It's so profound. We will actually never understand the depths of this transformation but we need to keep coming back to it, keep coming back to this great truth of what God has made us because what we are directs what we do. What we do depends on who we are. And all this is from God. I want you to notice in verse 18, very important, all this is from God. This is not something we can do. We can't transform ourselves. We can't save ourselves. All this is from God. It's a gracious gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't work for it. We can't perform religious duties for it. All this is from God. A gracious gift 
to us. We are transformed. So what does that mean for us? Well, who we are directs what we do. What we do depends on who we are. And Paul ties these together very nicely in verse 18. He says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are reconciled to God and now we have the ministry of reconciliation. When I was a younger, younger guy, I was in um, youth group and all that kind of thing and we used to play a game called Bull Rush or sometimes it was called British Bulldog. I don't know, has anyone played those games, some of you guys? Great fun. The way it works is uh, everybody gets up against one, one uh, wall, one side of the hall, one side of the field and you have one or two people chosen to be in the middle. And then everybody rushes from one side to the other. And the people in the middle have to catch somebody. Now, first, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of get from one side to the other. But as more and more people get caught, it gets harder and harder to, to get past. So the people that get caught, they actually join the team. They become people who catch others. And that's what Paul's saying here a little bit. We've been reconciled to God. Now that we're reconciled, we're on his team and we are exercising the ministry of reconciliation with him. And so he says to uh, to us here, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And listen to 19 where he, he expands upon it. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So God has given us the message of reconciliation, and God has committed to us, verse 19, uh, no, let me try that again. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 18, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation, in verse 19. We have the message, the great news of salvation through Jesus, and we have the ministry of what to do with that message. To take it out, because God is reconciling the world. God is reconciling the world. So what is the world? The world is Peru. The world is Kirribilli. The world is wherever you hang out. That's the world. So that's where we have this ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So that is an awesome privilege to have this wonderful message and this wonderful ministry. It's a, an awesome privilege, but it's an awesome responsibility. When uh, we were in Peru, my parents had to go into a retirement home. <clears throat> and so I have two brothers, and they came and organised it all. And so they had to sell the house. And it's the house where I lived and grew up, so I have... I had things there and I said to my brother, just get my things together and send it to a friend's place uh, who was going to store it for me. 
So we organised a removalist to do that. When we came back uh, here, I went to my friend's place to go through my stuff. And I realised that there were things that should have been there that weren't there. In particular, there was one suitcase, a silver suitcase. My wife tells me I have to let it go. Anna says, you've got to let it go. I can't let it go. Uh, the silver suitcase. I rang my brother. I said, I said, Glenn, remember that silver suitcase? He said, yeah, that was with your stuff. It went on the truck. I said, well, it didn't arrive. It went on the truck, but it didn't come off the truck. So, uh, you know, I'm vexed. I'm a little disturbed by that. I'm disappointed. And, you know, it's only stuff in the end, but I'm disappointed because I entrusted something precious of mine to the removalists and it never arrived. And God has entrusted us with something precious. He has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. And we have the responsibility of delivering that message, of doing the ministry of reconciliation. A great privilege, a great responsibility. So how do we put that into practice? Well, uh, good question. We need to be encouraged to do that. And I find uh, the motto, pray, give, go, is an excellent motto to keep in mind. I think it's the CMS motto. Pray, give, go. Pray, we can all pray. Pray for your, minis- your missionaries in a cross-cultural context and pray for your local ministry of evangelism. I believe a, a good, a healthy church is a church that has the vision of mission, global and local, a balance of global and local uh, vision for ministry. Now, I know Church by the Bridge has that, but we have to always be reminded to keep it in the right place, to keep it in our vision, to persevere and to keep going. So we have a, a balance between global and local uh, mission. So we pray for, our, for, for the missionaries. Your missionaries need your prayers. They depend upon your prayers. It's tough out there. And we pray for the local ministry, the local evangelism, for the church leaders who coordinate it, for the events that are happening, the people involved. You need to soak those things in prayer. And you need to pray for yourselves to be involved and to be able to invite people to those things. So pray. Give. Uh, It all requires money. That's a factor of the world, the reality of the world. It requires money. So we give to support mission, global and local. And you know what? That's okay because it all belongs to God. Everything we have comes from a good and generous God and we give back to him. And part of that, giving back, we want to give to mission, global and local. And we pray, we give, we go. Now, some of you may be considering going globally and cross-cultural mission. And I want to encourage you to, to think about that, to bring it before the Lord. You might feel you're the right kind of person that could do that kind of a ministry to become a cross-cultural missionary. 
You might have seen on our, uh, on our on the screen the range of ministries that we have just in Peru. We have people of all ages and stages from lots of countries and people with a whole range and variety of gifts and abilities who are serving in ministry in Peru. It's amazing what people can bring uh, to, to God and be used. We have, uh, for example, uh, we've had horse wranglers, horse wrangler missionaries who have come and done horse wrangling on the mission field. Uh, you know, you wouldn't have expected that, would you? But there you go. So whatever God's gift uh, to you, whatever talents, whatever abilities uh, you have, may be used on the mission field. But that's not everybody who will go cross-culturally, so we all need to go uh, locally. Okay, so how can we do that? How can I encourage you in that? Because sometimes even the simplest thing looks like climbing a volcano, and I can tell you that's hard. It's really hard and daunting. Some of you might be kind of at uh, 101, Evangelism 101, You might be just like, I can give a card to somebody and invite them to the Easter service. That's great. That's fantastic. Do that. But I reckon all of us want to go up a level, you know, go into postgraduate maybe or, um, you know, higher levels. And I want to encourage you to think about that. What do we need to do to do that? It's all about um, relationships and opportunities. You need to build relationships and see those relationships as being important because the opportunities will come along in those relationships. I think it's really important in our society today in Australia because we're in, the, in a post-Christian, post-biblically literate environment where more and more people have no idea, they're clueless about Jesus and about the gospel. And... In our social media world, we're experiencing the phenomena where what we believe or what we think keeps getting fed to us. And so it's being reinforced to us. And we're in this echo chamber. And that's Christians and non-Christians. And so non-Christians are experiencing that echo chamber. How are they going to find out about Jesus? The media is not going to tell them. The media only says bad stuff because that's news. How are they going to find out about Jesus? Well, they need a Christian friend. And that's you. They're out there and you're the Christian friend. So I want to encourage you to see those relationships as being so important. It might be at the school gate. It might be around the work water cooler. It might be uh, in your social club or your sport club or wherever you hang out. They're out there. They need to know a Christian friend, and you're that Christian friend. Here's an example from a friend of mine who posted on uh, Facebook this, um, this message. He wrote, Those moments when God lines up your afternoon to briefly say hi to your neighbor, which then leads to a conversation about his dogs, which leads to you going into his place and sharing a beverage after work with him which leads to having a deep discussion about his past relationships, which leads to him asking if I think there's anything more to this world, which leads me to saying yes and asking him to church, which leads 
to him saying yes and then inviting me to stay for dinner, which leads to a night of pizza and Xbox and more talk about God and the world. And then he's written in capitals, what in the world just happened? God just happened. He had that relationship. He's probably said hi to his neighbour a few times. And then the opportunity came. Now, I want to give you my one tip. There's you know, lots of ways we can think about how we can do evangelism. This is something that works for me. It's called the one-sentence tip. I was in uh, Arequipa. This happens to me occasionally. And I meet people. We often have tourists coming through. And I remember one occasion, there was a girl uh, travelling with her boyfriend. And we got talking. I said, oh, you know, I live here. I was helping her with directions or something. Oh, why do you live here? Oh, well, I, I work here. What do you do? Ah, oh, I'm a Bible teacher. Or I, I train pastors. They're my, uh, they're my go-to sentences. Okay. She said, oh, I'm a Muslim. I said, oh, where are you from? She said, I'm from Dubai. I said, oh, that's very interesting. And you're travelling with your boyfriend? She said, yes. And we had a very interesting conversation about uh, how, as a Muslim, and she was quoting the Quran to me, she knew her stuff, uh, how she might be in an intimate relationship with her boyfriend. And, and she actually said to me, I don't think God is smiling down on me right now. And we talked about how God might be able to smile down on her. And we talked about Jesus because she didn't know what we believed about Jesus. And she told me what they believe and I told her what we believe. So is that one sentence. I'm a Bible teacher. Now you need to have a sentence. Okay, what's your sentence going to be? You need to be ready with it. It needs to be right there, ready to drop into the conversation in your relationships when the right opportunity comes. I can, you can come up with your own, but let me try and help you. What did you do on the weekend? Well, on Sunday I went to church. Church, okay, the doors opened. Okay, there's an opportunity. Now, lots of people, and I get this a lot, will look at you with that look that says, there's no way I'm going to go there, there's no way I'm going to talk about that. That's weird. And <clears throat> that's okay. But some people will say, oh, that's interesting. Why do you do that? Or something like that. Conversation. Opportunity. And they might say, we want to plan something for next week. Wednesday I have Bible study. Can't do Wednesday. Bible study. Huh. Doors open. Conversation opportunity. Let me encourage you. You have to be intentional. You have to have, to have your sentence ready so it's there. And it will lead to opportunities and conversations about Jesus. It will lead to you uh, doing the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us to do. <clears throat> I mentioned that my parents had to move out of their home. They built that home and they lived in it for 65 years. And uh, when my two brothers uh, went in there, uh, before it was sold, <clears throat> they got rid of everything. They gave stuff away probably some of my stuff, <clears throat> maybe the silver suitcase. They, they, they took stuff to the tip, they threw stuff in the bin, they put stuff out on the footpath. They were on a, a mission and they just got rid of it all. It just went. <clears throat> now, that's okay. My parents built a, home, built a house, they made a home, 
They had the things they needed. They had other things that they enjoyed. But in the end, it was gone. And we need to be able to distinguish between the things that are tools that we use. They're tools, they're not our masters. We need to remember they're temporary. They fade away. And we need to remember they're a temptation. Because people can give their energy, their passion, their money, their sacrifice, their perseverance to those things. And in the end, they're gone. They're part of this temporary fading world. But we've been transformed. And we give our energy and passion and time and money and sacrifice and perseverance to the eternal things, to the ministry of reconciliation. Because God is reconciling people to himself. And he has given that task to us, the wonderful message of reconciliation and the wonderful ministry of reconciliation. And we do it because that's who we are. 